Good morning. As Brian mentioned, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 will be in verses 1 to 6. Let's uh, ask God to guide our time. Father God, we are thankful that we have your word, that your word is true, that you inspired the human authors to write exactly what you desire us to know about you, about ourselves, about how we ought to live in a manner that is glorifying. Father, we don't want just head knowledge, we want transformation. And so, Father, allow your word to penetrate our hearts. May you guide what I say to be true, and if I say things that are incorrect, give us wisdom to ignore that, that we might be changed by your truth. Guide us, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. Russell and Maria got the call. Maybe you have gotten the call before as well. Betty Ann and I have gotten the call. If you are an adoptive parent, you got the call. It's the call that you've been waiting for for months, or in our case, three years. It's the call that tells you that your children are really going to be your children. That the kids that you have been trying to adopt, well, in our case, foster children, in others, it's just uh, children that you have desired to adopt, but they haven't been in your house. And you finally get that call, and then you go and get them. That call came for Russell and Maria. They got on a plane, and they headed to Russia, where they adopted two boys. They filled out all the paperwork they then said goodbyes. They dressed the boys in new clothes that had been sent by the grandparents. Then the doors were opened and they stepped out into the light. Immediately the boys reached back for the squalor, the pit that had been their home all of their lives. The boys had never seen the sun before. They had never been outside. There were no windows. They were utterly terrified to see the sun. And although the orphanage was unclean, squalored, a pit, they reached back. They wanted to go back. They wanted the familiar. You can imagine what happened when they got in a car for the first time. And the car got up to highway speeds. Constantly, they're reaching back. They want to go back. This is unfamiliar, unsafe. They want to go back to the pit, the squalor. If you've adopted children, you know about it. It happens, unless they're infants. There's parts that they love, and there's parts that they want to go back even if they're being rescued from something that is detrimental, they want to go back to the squalor and the pit. It happens to many adoptive children. By the way, Christ follower, you're adopted. 
If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've come to the end of yourself, confessed, agreed with God that you are a sinner in need of saving, and you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are an adoptive daughter, an adoptive son. And today's text is going to say, keep your eyes on the heavenlies, keep your eyes on Jesus. And yet the temptation to go back, to go back to the pit, to go back to the squalor, to go back from that which you have been rescued from, that I have been rescued from, that temptation is real and it's reoccurring. Sometimes what we came from is is just more secure. Sometimes it seems more fun. It's more enticing. Satan draws us back. And so the text says, keep your eyes on that which is above, that which is of Christ. Don't go back. Don't be drawn into the pit. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that we have come out of darkness and into light. John tells us that we have been adopted as children. Let me read John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, to be adopted, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God. In fact, even our citizenship has changed. We are citizenship or citizens of two countries, dual citizens. If you're a citizen of the United States, be grateful. Be grateful. Don't believe the lies that we live in a terrible country. We do not. We've got our share of problems. But if you've traveled to other parts of the world, you know that we are a blessed nation. But we have an even greater citizenship, and that is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, the truth is we often reach back. We want to go back to the pit. We want to go back to the squalor. We want to go back to what is unclean. We are drawn by it. It seems familiar, it seems fun, but it leads to danger and relationship difficulty with our Savior and our Lord. Don't go back. Paul puts it this way in today's text. I want to read from Colossians 3, 1 to 6. If then you have been raised with Christ, As you have believed, I have received Jesus. If we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Died to sin. Died to the bondage of sin. We're drawn back But if we know Christ, we have the Spirit of God living in us. And for the first time, we can say no to sin. That bondage has been broken. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Stop reaching back. Stop going to the squalor. Stop going to the pit, Jeff. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives us five areas. I think there's only three categories. I think the middle three, he's stacking words that are essentially synonymous. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 1 is really challenging. If you are raised in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, then think about the things of God. Stop wanting to go back. Think about what God has done in your life, what Christ has done. Think about the Word of God. Allow it to meditate on your mind. Memorize Scripture in the areas of weakness, in the areas of perpetual sin. Memorize Scriptures that they might be cited. Have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One of the pieces of the armament of God is that we know the Word. We cite the Word in our our moments of weakness. Think about Christ. Think about being united with Christ after this life. Think on Christ. Now, why would Paul say that? Not because it's theoretical or philosophical or it's ivory tower for him. Paul knows what it's like to be on the road to Damascus to see the risen Christ to be blinded and then have scales fall. He knows what it's like to have the Spirit of God within him and yet to look back, to go to the squalor, to go back to the pit. He knows what it's like to be tempted in sin and he wants better for us. And so he says, keep your mind on the things that are above. Think through the book of Romans. The first couple chapters are all about our sin. Then you get to chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6. It's all about salvation in Christ alone. And then you get to chapter 7, and it's Paul going back to the pit, going back to the squalor. This is not theoretical for Paul. This is what he writes in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. And then verses 24 and 25, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? Yet thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. Paul knows what it's like to be rescued and then to turn around and head back to the squalor, to head back to the pit. And he wants better for you and he wants better for me. And he gives us a solution. It almost seems too simple. In fact, it's almost so simple that you say, I say, ah, it's got to be more complicated. It's not. Set your minds on things above. Think about Christ. Memorize scripture and cite it in the moments of temptation. 
when Satan sends the fiery darts at us that we read about in Ephesians 6, think about Christ. Cite Christ. Sing to Christ. Sing about Christ. Think about things above. It's a simple solution. But it's the right solution. It's the only solution. I think what the text is saying is this. What do you, what do I, what do we think about most? Whatever you and I think about most is probably what's most important in our life. And if it's not Jesus, we're at risk of idolatry. If I don't think about Jesus and the words of Jesus and being with Jesus more than anything else, there's a good chance that there is idolatry in my life. We are told by a philosopher, and it's true, that our hearts are idol factories. That's even true for a Christ follower. We not only go back to the idols of the pit and the squalor, we sometimes take good things that God gives us, good gifts from the Lord, and we turn them into idols. Whatever you and I focus on most in our life, if it's not Jesus, if it's not the words of Jesus, if it's not being with Jesus, it's very likely an idol within us. Let me offer a few idols that I think are common among we Christ followers. The first idol is politics. We forget which citizenship is more important, that on earth or that in heaven. It's not that we ought to be apolitical. I don't believe that. I think to be salt and light of Matthew 5, you and I need to know what's going on nationally and internationally. I believe that a Christ follower who doesn't vote makes a mistake and loses an opportunity to be salt and light. I think we ought to write our legislators on a regular basis and ask them to vote or not to vote for various bills. They represent us. And if we aren't telling them what we believe, how do they represent us at all? We ought to be individuals who vote with our pocketbooks. I don't know about you, but I'm finding it hard to know where to buy anything anymore. I got so many places I won't go because their values are different than mine. Probably hunting season, I'm going to have to buy some or shoot something to, to dress myself with. This is actually my dad's shirt. Don't tell him I have it. It's our little secret. Mom gave it to me. Dad, well, he loses. We're not to be apolitical, but it isn't our highest citizenship. What does the text say? Set your minds on things above. Is politics above? I doubt it. No matter what persuasion you are, politics aren't above. They're below. Set your mind on things above. Be salt and light. But know the priority of which citizenship is more important and where we ought to focus our minds. Or it could be besetting sins. When we get to verse 5, Paul will mention five categories, which I've suggested as three, besetting sins that are in Christ. 
where we're reaching back, going back to the pit, going back to the squalor. If we're thinking on those things, meditating on those things, that's idolatry. We're at risk of idolatry. It could be good gifts. One of the most remarkable things about Christianity is we take good gifts that God gives us and we turn them into idols. It happens all the time. It could be a job, a career, an advancement. Praise the Lord for a job, a career, an advancement. Praise the Lord. But it can be an idol if it becomes the most important thing in our life. It could be a family that we have or a family that we want, a marriage that we have or a marriage that we want, children or grandchildren that we have or that we want, and we turn potential or existing good gifts into what is most important in our life, and it can be idolatry. If we take what is good and gifted by God and we make it the most important thing in our lives. It could be a house or a car, a relationship, an ideology, a philosophy. We can take really good gifts and if we spend more time thinking about them, meditating on them, desiring them, then we think and meditate and desire Christ We're at risk of idolatry. And so the text says, set your minds on things above. Set your minds on Christ and the things of Christ. What are you, what am I thinking about most? Now I'm going to pause and give us a a few moments to just talk to the Lord about what we think about most. I'm just going to warn you, the sermon's not over, even though I'll pray. And then we'll go back to the sermon. I think, you know, The last couple services, everybody thought it was over, so I'm just going to warn you. I barely got started. Get comfortable. But let's ask God what we think about most. Is it Christ? Father, help us to think about your Son and your Word and eternity with you the most. Amen. The text urges us to let go of idols. In this regard, I think of the 1845 Franklin expedition. You probably know about it. Lord Franklin was assigned an expedition to find a path through the Arctic, back to England. And the goal was to shorten the paths for industry and for trade. And so he took two ships up to the Arctic. If you know anything about the expedition, they brought with them a bunch of foolish things. On both ships, they brought a 1,200-volume set of library books. Nobody was reading. They brought Bone China. For everyone. They brought silver with the initials engraved of all the officers and they brought it for everyone. And they're going to the Arctic and they brought only a 12 day supply of coal. And the ships got up there and the ice froze around the ships. 
and they were frozen in place. And two months later, they're still in place, and Lord Franklin dies. And so all of the enlisted and all of the officers, they say, we have got to get out of here. The ice isn't going to break. We have to go across the ice and hope to get to solid land. And so they go out in groups of two and in groups of three, and not one of them made it. One of the most heartbreaking is two senior officers. They had gotten a sled, probably the only sled on the entire excavation, or excavation and, and they had loaded it up and they had pushed that sled 65 miles. They had gotten 65 miles away and then they died. And when their remains were found on that sled were thousands and thousands of pounds of silver. That's what they chose to bring. They're in the Arctic. They're dying of cold. And all they brought with them was thousands of pounds of silver. Their idolatry contributed to the demise of their life. Materialism gripped them to the point of being irrational. And that's what sin does. When we feed sin, when we're always going back to the pit and the squalor, and we're always reaching back, we become irrational. But when we focus on Christ, and we focus on the heavenlies, and we're reading the word, and we're singing the word, and we're memorizing the word, and we're citing the word, and we're learning the word, and we're focused on Christ, we become the most rational individuals possible. Paul encourages us to stop reaching back. And he gives us five words or phrases. I think they're just illustrative. They may or may not reflect where you, I, we are. They're just examples of the pit, the squalor that we reach back for. But they're pretty important examples. The first is sexual immorality. Paul says, put it to death. That's the Greek word pornea. It's the word that is rather broad. We get our word pornography from it. If it were more kia, it would be rather narrow. Pornea is the broadest word in the Greek language for sexual immorality that is outside the will of God. We know the will of God, don't we? All the way back in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and the woman were both naked and not ashamed. The creator, the sustainer of us, and the creator of intimacy says that intimacy is only between a husband and wife in a marriage relationship, not outside, not before, not in any other form. It is just between a husband and wife in a marriage relationship. And yet we say, well, we kind of got to update the scriptures a bit. It's a bit out of touch, a bit out of date. We need to update it. You know, that was tried. It was tried in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the church was proud of a man who had his father's wife. And Paul said, rather than being proud of that update, you ought to have mourned. So we already have an example of updating God's morality. And Scripture said, rather than being proud, 
You ought to have mourned. We live in a day and age where several things happen. A lot of people just ignore the word of God and do not consider it the word of God and do not really consider God to be the redeemer, the sustainer, and the king. But we have a new category in which people reinterpret scripture. Scripture is clear. We call it the perspicuity of scripture. We don't need to reinterpret it and we don't need to say that it clearly doesn't mean what it obviously means. It must mean this. And that's happening all over the world where people are taking the clear meaning of Scripture and they're making it less clear. And they're telling us that there are multiple possibilities of text. Every text has one meaning. Maybe a hundred applications. Maybe a thousand ways to illustrate it. One meaning. And it's clear. We talk about the perspicuity of Scripture. And Paul says, don't go back to the squalor, Jeff. Stop reaching back. Reach forward. And trust that God has our best interests always at heart. He's the creator, the sustainer. He says, put to death pornea in your life. Then he gives us, I think, three synonymous words and phrases. He says, put to death impurity. That's the word catharsis with the alpha privative in front of it. If you put an A in front of an English word, it goes to the negative, right? You do the same thing in Koine Greek. You put a, an alpha in front of or an A in front of it. it. It goes to the negative. And so he's saying, clean, no. Avoid what is unclean in society. Then he says, avoid passion, pathos. He's not talking about a zest for life. He's talking about an immorality. Avoid evil desire interchangeable. How is that different than the first word, pornea? I think pornea is outward action that is obvious. These three are heart and eye issues. It's possible to look lustfully at a person and they don't know. It's possible to say one thing about our hearts, but in fact, our hearts are evil all the time. So these next three words and phrases are talking about guarding our hearts. It's Job who says in Job 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 9, I know this, this is a song, but I can't cite it without singing it, so I'm going to read it. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. That's what he's getting at. Guard your heart, Jeff. Guard your heart, Christ Christopher. Guard our eyes. Guard our minds. Go to what is clean rather than unclean. What is truly a zest for life rather than a passion for immorality. And stay away from evil all around us. Live for Christ. Set your mind on that which is above, 
that which is heavenly, that which is Christ. And finally, he tells us in verse 5, to avoid covetousness. It's actually a compound word, to have more. And I think this is a little bit tricky. There's a little bit of nuance because covetousness is different often than ambition. Ambition can really be good. Ambition, if it's for the betterment of the glory of God, the betterment of the kingdom, the betterment of one's family, to utilize the gifts that God has entrusted to you, ambition can be really good. It can also be evil if it's all about self. Covetousness is always evil. Covetousness is to want what someone else has. It's not trying to climb the corporate ladder in order to better provide for family or climb the corporate ladder in order to use one's gifts or even to give back to the kingdom. It's to climb one's ladder, to step on someone as you work your way up because you want what they have. That's from the pit. That's from squalor. Covetousness is never satisfied with what God has entrusted to us. It's always to want one thing more. Never to be happy. Never to be satisfied. I just need more because you have more. You have bigger. You have better. You have shinier. I want what you have and I want better than what you have because I want more recognition than you have. It can even make its way into a church. It can. Maybe uh, we're on worship team and and the Lord raises up somebody with even a better voice and we become second fiddle and we say, that's not fair. Rather than saying, Lord, we bless you to bring somebody with more skills. It happens. I look at some of the young pastors at Highland. A day is coming, maybe has already come when some of them will preach better than I can. It happens. And I can either say, oh, no, no, no. The pulpit's mine. Or I can share the pulpit. Which will it be? God wants us to be ambitious, to utilize the gifts that he's entrusted to us, to develop, to better provide for the kingdom, provide for our family, to utilize the gifts to his glory. But he doesn't want us to be filled with covetousness having to be at the top, having to be the best, having to climb over others, wanting what other people have rather than being satisfied with what God has entrusted to us. Paul says, set your mind on things above. In fact, he actually adds another uh, phrase in uh, verse 6 that's a little bit startling. He talks about uh, the wrath of God that is coming. Let me read verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now that's very interesting. Because if you know Jesus Christ, there will be no wrath. Right? Christ has already endured the wrath. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The wrath of God was poured out on the Son on the cross for our sin, that if by faith we believe in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us as our sin was placed on Christ and he endured the wrath. There is no wrath. And so I say, Paul, you kind of blew it here. You kind of blew it. You told me to set my mind on things above. And then you gave me five examples that I ought to avoid. Stop going back to the pit, going back to the squalor. And then you say, if I don't, I'll incur the wrath. But wrath is for an unbeliever, not a believer. Romans 1. So you kind of blew it, Paul. I can now have my cake and eat it too. I'll never get the wrath and I can go back to the sins that I want. But remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. Analogy of faith. And so I incorporate other passages. I will never incur the wrath, but I will incur discipline. In fact, we saw it last week where God brings discipline into the lives of those he adopts in order to develop the fruit of righteousness in our lives. A believer will never incur wrath. We will be disciplined in order to turn us away from sin and towards the Lord. Let me read from Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And have you, Jeff, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or daughters? My son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, every daughter whom he receives. It's true. I'm never going to incur wrath. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you will. But I would plead with you today to believe in Christ. To recognize that you, I, we are sinners and by faith ask him to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us, to become our Savior and Lord. And then you will never incur wrath either. But as daughters and sons, when we reach back to the pit and the squalor, the darkness of which he has rescued us, when we take good gifts and we make them into idols and we find things that are more important in our life than Jesus and knowing Jesus and worshiping Jesus and thinking about being united with Jesus for all of eternity, when there are things like that, the Lord will bring discipline into our lives not to retributively punish us, but to redirect us. Because we're sons, we're daughters of the king. And he wants us to be all that he desires us to be. And he wants to develop the fruit of righteousness within us. So today we're called to stop looking back to the pit, the squalor. And we're called not to take the good gifts that God has given us and turn them into idols. And we're called to more Christ to think about Christ, to memorize Scripture in the areas of our weakness and cite him to Christ when the evil darts of the evil one come at us and temptation comes at us. The solution is more Christ. Let's pray. Father, may we have more of your Son, more Christ, May we live 
for Christ. May we honor Christ. May we learn about Christ. May we memorize scriptures about your son and about how to put off the temptations and the evil darts that come our way. May we be enamored by Christ. Father, every one of us, if we're honest, can write Romans 7, 24 and 25. Oh, what a wretched man. What a wretched woman I am. Who will separate me or save me from this body of sin? And what's the answer? Thanks be to Christ. Thanks be to our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us more Christ, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.